Hey friends, M. Faring here. I am so glad you're joining me as we journey through the pages of God's Word, looking for the big picture story, digging deep in study, and discovering how all of this applies to our lives. Most importantly, I hope we're able to see how Jesus is found throughout it all, plus learn more about God's character and love for us along the way. Let's open our Bibles together, one chapter at a time. Okay, friends, let's begin. Welcome back, OOBTers. Welcome to the new year with the Open Our Bibles Together with M. Faring podcast. I'm so glad to be back here studying with you again. And you have my sincerest thanks for extending me the grace to take a much-needed break from the podcast, to spend time over the holidays with my family, celebrating, grieving, resting, healing, remembering, and enjoying time with one another in our new normal without my dad, without our family's Grandpa Stanley. Oof. Truthfully, I often wonder just what does new normal even mean anyway? With that said, before we dive back into our studies in the book of Genesis, I felt the need to share today some thoughts and perspectives God has been placing on my heart during the Christmas season and right on into the new year to share with you some of the truths my own heart so desperately needs to hear, needs to be reminded of as we close out 2022 and enter 2023. Maybe yours does too. So as we start this new year, let's begin by reminding ourselves of what is true and allow ourselves to rest on that, whether we find ourselves motivated and have all kinds of goals and dreams in our heart, or if we're just dragging in carrying grief or heartache that didn't magically disappear when the calendar flipped from December 31st to January 1st. Truthfully, anywhere in between even. All those feelings and emotions are welcome here as we remind ourselves that no matter how we feel today about 2023, we are here on purpose for a purpose. And we are called to go to do whatever God puts on our hearts in His timing. It may not be today, but we can trust that there will always be a time that God chooses to use the most unlikely. Which includes each one of us, am I right? For sure I feel unlikely anyway. Okay, let's preach some more truth to ourselves together, shall we? I think we're often too quick to take away the Christmas decorations. And even more importantly, tuck away the story of Christ and all the characters that surround it. On this break, as I had some time to just think and reflect on this Christmas story, I have come across many things in the story that I think are very important to us, especially when we think about this idea of being called to something, of acting in obedience to God. Listen in to this from Hannah Brencher's Season of Advent devotional we previously studied from in December, as she shares some thoughts she had after reading Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. We are living in the after of this story. I have to remind myself of this truth whenever I fall into thinking of the story of Mary giving birth to Jesus, as if it was a simple one. It was anything but that. It wasn't just an episode of Teen Mom unfolding. It was an unforgivable event that could have resulted in extreme shame and death for Mary. God could have chosen to enter the world in many ways, but He chose a road that meant scandal. He chose a virgin teenage girl, promised to be married to Joseph, to unveil His big plans. And still, no matter the cost, Mary decided to enter the story, choosing faith over fear. I can think of several instances in my life where I did not step into the same kind of faith as Mary. Instead, I rehearsed a familiar anthem of fear over myself. Fear that God would not show up. Fear that promises would not unfold. Fear that I would take the next step only to trip and fall. Every day, we get a choice. We can glorify God for what He is doing, even when we can't yet see it. Or we can script a story where everything weighs heavy on our shoulders, a story where fear gets to be the main character. 
As I'm writing this piece, this is a lesson I'm personally walking through right now. Specifically, I am learning the importance of speaking life over my circumstances instead of death. I read a quote the other day. Want to know where you'll be in five years? Just look at the things you're speaking over your life right now. Our words hold such power. The Bible says that the tongue possesses the power to bring life or death. I've had to take careful inventory over my life and over the things I have the power to speak life over. My marriage, my family, my child, my business, my career, my faith, and my relationships. I can either access faith in all these areas or lean on fear's shoddy armrest. In your own story, you have the same choice, faith or fear. Trust that God will show up or fear that it's all up to you. I love that Mary never questioned her place in the story. She thought it through and asked some hard questions, but her response was, I am the Lord's servant, so I will go wherever he leads me. I think about how another faith giant from the Bible, Moses, had the exact opposite response to God using him in such a big way. When God outlined his plan to use Moses, Moses responded, Who am I that you would use me? He doubted. He responded out of crippling fear. But do you know what God said back to his question? Probably not what you'd anticipate. Not, you are the right one. Not, you have what it takes. Not, you're amazing, Moses. You've got this. But he did respond with, I will be with you. He did not stroke Moses' ego or build up his self-esteem. He simply pointed to himself to remind Moses where he could lean. Moses didn't get it, but a teenage girl could see it in black and white. She knew the God who was penning her story and that he was good and his track record was reliable. We can walk bravely into today knowing we don't need to be qualified to enter the story. God walking alongside us is the only qualification we need. His presence in our story is how we will move forward and tackle everything up ahead for us. We don't need to be afraid of where God is leading us because His promise rings true thousands of years after He spoke it out. I will be with you. You have a God who picks you out of a crowd for divine purposes. He makes no mistakes. He never gets it wrong. He's not playing head games with you. He walks with you. He covers you. He goes before you and follows closely behind you. You are precious to Him, and He is delighted by your yes. Even if you live your whole life with a thick film of fear over your eyes, He wouldn't think to love you any less. You have a choice to make for today. Faith or fear. How will you respond? That question, how will you respond? It's one that's been stuck in my mind lately. It also reminds me of the Holy Moments message series from Life Church I heard in church throughout the month of December. Listen to this thought from the first message in the series called When It's Hard to Obey. Pastor Greg says, And the key thought today is this. You have no idea what God can do through one moment of obedience. And some of you know that because at one time, you've been prompted to do something or say something or give something. And you did something and you said something and you gave something. And you look back and you're like, wow, I can't believe all that God set into motion through one small act and one moment of obedience. And then there are other times when we might feel prompted to say something or do something or give something but we don't know all the details. And that act of obedience seems very, very difficult and hard, and so we don't do it. And then sometime in the future, we look back and wonder, what did we miss out on? What did God plan to do that maybe He didn't do through us because we did not obey? Oh, goodness. I'm curious if you too resonated with what Pastor Craig shared there, whether you acted in obedience in the moment or if you didn't. I'm guessing we all have examples of both in our lives. If we don't, I'm sure we all will eventually. And then as we consider Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, 
Sometimes it is easy, and sometimes it is painfully hard. And sometimes it's even such a big leap of faith to move forward in what God asks us to do. But now 2,000 years later, we are still talking about the birth of this baby because a teenage girl named Mary believed that what God said of her would be true because Joseph accepted an assignment that was impossible and even crazy in that time because some uneducated, unlikely, unkept shepherds whom culturally nobody would have even believed at the time shared a message they were given to share by telling everyone about the birth of Jesus. We absolutely have no idea what God can do with one moment of obedience from us, from one moment of boldness to step out in faith and do what God has put on our heart to do. Wow. Just wow. With all this talk in mind, it naturally seems to lead to these questions. Where do you feel called by God? Need to go? Be present where you are? To a new God-sized mission? To actually lean into the calling that has been on your heart and mind for a while now? Am I speaking to anyone besides myself here, friends? I want to pause right here for a minute and ask you to seriously consider these questions. Is God asking you to do something crazy? Is God asking you to trust Him in something wild and audacious and risky and unplanned, something that you never, ever imagined He'd ever ask you to do? Is He asking you to that? Have you felt something stirring in your heart, messages from all over the place that keep lining up, something that you can't shake no matter how hard you try to push it back and push it down? pushing it to the back of your mind, trying to ignore, shoving it away. Something that has been starting to well up inside of you. Can I say the same words to you that our Heavenly Father seemed to speak to my own heart and mind as a crazy idea of becoming a Bible study podcast host fully landed in my life in a million different ways of confirmation that it was truly a calling from Him? It's not going to be easy for you. It's even going to be hard for you at times. But if you will trust me, you'll make more of an impact than you could ever know or ever could where you are now. Phew, in all the craziness of this world, I think we could all agree that we need people to step into their callings now more than ever. And we are those people, my friends. I can promise with all certainty that that is truth for all of us. In the big things, in the small things, in all the things, 100%. Imagine with me a few possible scenarios here. God prompts you to do something, and then you say, But God, I'm already so busy. So, so busy. But God prompts you. Or God might lead you to give something, to bless somebody. And you think, But God, it's really, really tight. Gas prices are expensive. Inflation's real and interest is going up. And the stocks are down. And God prompts you to give something to be a blessing. Or maybe someone betrays you. And God's word pierces your heart that we are to forgive others in the same way that we've been forgiven. And you have the choice to make. It may be hard and you may not know the details. And God is prompting you and you don't know what's going to happen. But here is what we need to remember. That obedience is our responsibility. The outcome is God's. We do what He leads us to do and we trust Him with the results. Amazing. Truthfully, we tend to think when we get crazy callings that it is off character for God. But actually that is often exactly what He does. Just look at the Bible. It's full of crazy calls. It's full of God asking people to do seemingly impossible things. Noah, Abraham, Moses, Mary, the list could go on and on. Those stories might not sound crazy to us as we consider them now because we know the ending, but they did not. Noah built a boat over the course of a hundred years in a place that it had never even rained. Abraham was told to go leave your country and then many years later told to sacrifice his only son, the son of the promise for numerous ancestors like the stars in the sky. 
Mary was told you're going to have a son and name him Jesus. We know Noah's family was rescued with that very same crazy ark. We know that Isaac was saved from sacrifice. We know that Jesus became our Savior on the cross. We know how the story turned out, how those stories turned out. They didn't know how things were going to turn out when they got that crazy call from God. But look at their stories. If God's calling you to do something crazy, guess what? He's writing you into His story. I know you're scared. I was too. I know you're questioning if it's really Him calling you. I did that too. I know you have no idea how this is going to work out. Trust me, I know too. I know you have 100 emotions surrounding this and thousands of valid concerns. I know. So what do you do when God is calling you to do something crazy? Well, God asks. You do it, and then you sit back and watch how God comes through for you. Actually, this reminds me of how this podcast began over a year ago, as I discussed in detail in episode one. And as a side note here, if you had not had a chance to listen to that OOBT episode yet, I highly recommend you do. Or maybe even listen again, as the content fits right in with today's discussion. Anyway... In that very first episode, I detailed how God calling Moses from the burning bush to go speak to Pharaoh was just another confirmation he gave me in that season of leaning in in obedience to his calling to start a Bible study podcast. I'll let you listen for yourself to hear some specific ways God spoke to me, encouraged me, and even repeatedly confirmed this calling for me. And in building on those thoughts from a year ago, to this very day I feel called to more of the same, to keep going on in this God-sized mission of press and record on a podcast for those wanting to learn more about the Bible with others, one chapter at a time, with no previous Bible study experience necessary. I promise. (laughs) And considering there are 66 books in the Bible and multiple chapters found in each one, I believe this is going to be the calling on my life for many years to come. (laughs) All kidding aside, though, while I may no longer be in the beginning phases of the dream God has placed on my heart, I still find myself having many moments where I have to focus on doing the next task in an act of obedience to this calling. A year in and I still have moments of doubt, confusion, and sometimes even just plain old wanting to give up. But I, like all of us, have to remind myself that this is not my story, my plan, but God's. And my part of the rescue plan is obedience in doing whatever God has asked of me today. I must trust Him with the results, the outcome. Whew. Yet another of those moments in life when something preaches well, but is oh so much harder to live, am I right? Listen into these additional perspectives I have come across regarding Moses' call and obedience. Words that I feel have helped me to more deeply understand Moses, his hesitation, his obedience, and the many ways God used him throughout it all. In some way, I also feel it helped to encourage me as God has called me to speak as well. Listen to this excerpt from a chapter titled Divine Invitation from Louis Giglio's book, I Am Not, But I Know I Am. It begins, God is always looking for ordinary people to play significant roles in his unfolding story. And given that he is God and supremely confident in himself, he is free to choose the least among us, the slowest, the lesser known, the last, the smallest, the poorest, to accomplish amazing God-sized stuff. While as humans we try to partner with the brightest and most powerful, God is simply looking for people who are willing to take Him at His word, those confident that with Him in the equation, everything is possible. So try to put yourself in God's shoes for a minute. Your people are enslaved in Egypt, toiling day and night, building monuments to the fame and greatness of the pharaohs. Yet you have a redemption plan, a deliverance mission, 
and you're looking for a spokesman to take your agenda to the most powerful man in the most powerful empire on the planet, demanding that he let your people go free. Who are you going to choose to lead Israel out of bondage? What criteria are you going to use to narrow the field of candidates? How will you train the person you choose to lead? How will you ensure the success of the mission? Well, you probably wouldn't choose a stuttering shepherd with wilting self-esteem, an aging man on the downslope of life who for many years has been on the run from the mighty Pharaoh after killing one of his slave drivers back in Egypt. Would you? But that's exactly who God chose, just the guy he invited to take the helm in this chapter of his unfolding story. I'm guessing you probably know what happened. When Moses looked up, a nearby bush was on fire. But what was really strange was the fact that the bush continued to burn without being consumed. Intrigued, Moses stopped to investigate, and when he moved in for a closer look, a voice thundered out of the flames. Moses, Moses. Moses stopped in his tracks. God had found his man. Not that finding Moses was all that difficult for God. He didn't have to do a Google search. He knew exactly where to find him. For even though Moses was on the backside of nowhere, the nowhere he was on the backside of was a place called Mount Horeb, a name which means the mountain of God. Moses probably thought he was alone with the flock for another dusty day, stranded in the wilderness, just counting the days in the closing chapters of his life. Little did he know that he was tending his sheep in God's neighborhood and that he was about to be invited to play a major role in God's deliverance plan. In what would turn out to be a very prophetic reply, Moses answered, Here I am. That's when Moses' world turned upside down. Take off your sandals, Moses, and don't come any closer, God exclaimed. You are on holy ground. I doubt Moses needed a second admonition. Instantly, he ripped those sandals from his feet and buried his face in his hands. Now that he had Moses' undivided attention, God laid out his plan. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them and bring them into a good and spacious land. The cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Did you notice all the first-person pronouns God is using to state his case? I have seen. I have heard. I'm concerned. I'm coming down. I'm going to do something. God's mind was set. His plan was in motion. Failure was not an option. No insurmountable obstacle stood in his way. God had sized up Pharaoh, a man of unrivaled political and military power, and decided to use him as a pawn in his story. The redemption mission would go on as scheduled. Pharaoh's army notwithstanding and a couple million people would journey through an arid desert wasteland to safely arrive in the land long ago promised to their forefathers. Mark it down. It was going to happen. God was confident that the promised land, the place he had chosen for Israel to dwell, was suitably perfect, even if presently inhabited by skilled warriors defending cities with fortressed walls that would intimidate any man. God wasn't deterred and he didn't need assistance, but he had chosen to use a man, a human mouthpiece, someone who would carry his message and lead his cause. That's when, for Moses, the conversation took an ominous turn. Without taking a breath, God added, So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. What? All of a sudden, the first person God is going to do something amazing through someone else, someone small. Somehow, the I and me pronouns evaporate, and Moses is left reeling in the wake of blatantly second-person marching orders. Now you go. Confused and overwhelmed, Moses blurts out, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? 
I think what was going through Moses' mind were the same kind of thoughts that have raced through yours and mine when we're called by God to do something that seems way beyond our abilities. God, are you serious? Is this a joke? Have you mistaken me for somebody else? Surely you don't think I can pull this off, do you? Who, me? Do what? But look more closely at what God actually said to Moses. When he said, you go and bring them out, he wasn't thinking Moses was actually going to do the delivering. God wasn't counting on Moses' skill or power to break the chains of bondage that held his people captive. God was going to do all the work. He just wanted a leader with skin to speak on his behalf and lead the people to his promised destination. All along, God was counting on himself to pull the story off. Not Moses. Definitely not Moses. When God said, you go, he was implying, I'm going to do this with or without you, Moses, but I've been searching for just the right partner. A regular guy who will believe that I am able to do exactly what I have said I will do. You just need to merge onto the highway of my agenda, my promise before, now happening, already in motion agenda, and watch me go. Don't deviate from what I am saying. Trust me. Follow me without fear of any man. This is going to be amazing. Oh, and by the way, I could do it all by myself, but I'm choosing to use a human vessel, a tangible, flesh and blood ambassador for the cause. And I'm choosing you, Moses. So now you go. But those last two words were the only ones Moses heard. You go. Immediately the questions and doubts gushed out of his mouth. A stuttering man like me? You want me to go to Pharaoh? How? He'll kill me. Interestingly, God didn't respond with a pep talk. He didn't send Moses to the center for you-can-do-it training in an effort to boost his confidence. No, God doesn't waste any time, not one second, trying to pump Moses up for the task. He doesn't inflate Moses' self-esteem by filling him with a boatload of, Come on, Moses, you can do this. I believe in you. You've just got to believe in yourself, encouragement. Instead, God answers Moses' who-am-I question with the five life-shifting words as he simply affirms, I will be with you. When God invites us into his story, assigning us various roles that are seemingly too big for us to carry out, his affirmation is always the same. I will be with you. It's as if he was saying to Moses, don't worry about who you are, just focus on the reality that I'm going to. And if I go with you, trust me, everything is going to work out fine. Bottom line, God and anybody else is an overwhelmingly powerful team. By now, things were getting dicey for Moses, but he didn't fold up and run. After all, the bush was still a raging flame and a holy hush was hanging thick in the air. Barefoot and trembling, Moses somehow mustered the courage to ask God to produce some personal identification. Honestly, who could blame him? It's not likely Moses was going to go charging into Egypt, instantly gaining the trust of the Israelites while striking fear into the heart of an iron-fisted dictator like Pharaoh. No. Before that was going to happen, Moses knew he'd need a lot more information about the one who was sending him and who would be going with him. How will they know we had this conversation, Moses likely stuttered. They won't believe the burning bush thing, even if I tell them, and they won't be able to sense the otherness of your presence like I can right now. If they say, and just who was this God you were talking to out in the wilderness, what will I tell them? Can you believe it? Moses is asking the God of all creation to tell him his name. It's important here to grasp the gravity of the situation. Of course, God already knew Moses' name. He had repeatedly called him by his first name at the outset of this exchange. But Moses didn't know his. Since the dawn of time, God has been referred to as Yahweh, meaning Most High God, a name so revered by the generations preceding Moses, they rarely even wrote it out in full, choosing instead to abbreviate it. 
But that revered title was really more of a description than a personal name. No one knew God's personal name. And as far as we know, no one had dared to ask. You have to understand, it's not as though God was just a little higher and a little more holy than Moses. Someone you just stroll up to and say, hey man, what's up? No, we're talking about the infinite one, the one whose voice alone causes worlds to be born and grown men to hide their faces, having a conversation with a little, frail, finite creature, a creature who wants to know if he can call Almighty God by his name. God is in no way obligated to answer, yet without hesitation he did. To this aging shepherd, God revealed his name, saying, I am who I am. Tell them I am sent me to you. What? I'm pretty sure Moses didn't get it right away. In fact, he was probably thinking, that's what I'm asking you, God. You are who? And the reply comes back, I am. That's who. Your name is I am? That's right, Moses. My name is I am who I am. My name is I am. I wonder how long it took for God's name to register in Moses' brain. It's an amazing name. In Hebrew, the word for I am is Haya, the pronunciation of which originates deep down in the throat. Think of the loud karate expression here. Haya carries with it the idea of the very breath of God. In English, the name I am translates into the verb to be, or simply be. Therefore, God's name is be. I am equals I be. Not great grammar, I know, but powerful theology. God knew it was imperative for Moses to know who he was, that he was I am. I am in the present tense, active form of a verb, to be. As God's name, it declares that he is unchanging, constant, unending, always present, always God. God was telling Moses, I am the center of everything. I am running the show. I am the same every day, forever. I am the owner of everything. I am the Lord. I am the creator and sustainer of life. I am the Savior. I am more than enough. I am inexhaustible and immeasurable. I am God. In a heartbeat, Moses knew God's name, and something more, he finally knew his. For if God's name is I am, Moses' name must be I am not. I am not the center of everything. I am not in control. I am not the solution. I am not all-powerful. I am not calling the shots. I am not the owner of anything. I am not the Lord. That's my name too, and yours. I am not. Just try it under your breath. My name is I am not. I am not running anything. I am not the head of anything. I am not in charge of anything. I am not the maker. I am not the savior. I am not holding it all together. I am not all-knowing. I am not God. Sure, people might call you Tommy or Eddie or Amanda or Juan or Michelle or Aaron or Michael, but let's face it, when you get right down to it, all of our names are I am not, and God's name is still I am. While Moses was still reeling, God continued, This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Exodus chapter 3 verse 15. In other words, God wanted Moses to know that not only would he remain the same, his name would endure to every generation that would inhabit earth, even to our generations, mine and yours. I love this verse because it puts us in the story. Oh, you may just have been calling him God all these years, and in fact, that's who he is. But he gladly told Moses his name is I am, be, and that's still his name today, right now, wherever and whoever you are. God is big, we are not. God is calling the shots, directing the script, and determining the plot. We are not. 
And what's really wild is that while he doesn't need any of us, he is choosing to include us, inviting us into the story that never ends. Try to fathom it, little you and me invited into the massive and mysterious story of the great I am. Are you up for it? Moving on, this devotional by Lisa Turkers in First Five's Exodus study titled, We Don't Have to Doubt Him, reads, Exodus chapter 4, verse 10 in the NIV, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Insecurities. We all have them. These qualities about ourselves that make us lack confidence or assurance can be a positive call to action to make healthy changes in our lives. But insecurities can also hold us back from stepping into the assignments God calls us to. That's exactly what happened to Moses. Moses knew with absolute certainty what God was calling him to do. God had confirmed it by speaking to him audibly through the burning bush, telling him to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. And Moses knew exactly what to say, what God planned to do, that God would be with them, and that God would provide for them with plunder from the Egyptians. So what could possibly hold him back when things seem so very clear? It's the same thing that might be holding you and me back at times. Moses doubted God had created him for the calling God gave him. After Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, the Lord comes back with very strong words to Moses in verses 11 and 12. Who gave human beings their mouths? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. When we doubt we have what it takes for us to do what God calls us to do, we are doubting His creation abilities. He knew from the beginning of time what He would call you to do and therefore how you would need to be formed. God does everything with purpose and precision. The exact way He made you is in keeping with how He will use you. Trust this. Embrace this. Even if you don't know all the details of your calling quite yet, thank God for making you perfectly equipped for your assignments ahead. And when insecurity starts to make you doubt, flip it around and say, God, I may doubt myself, but I will not doubt you. So I will let your perfection override my feelings of imperfection and do what you instruct me to do. Truthfully, friends, my heart in sharing this called and go message with all of you at the beginning of the year is twofold. One, because I need to be reminded of this message myself. But two, if we go out after we hear this message from God and do what God is asking us to do, whether it be in our workplaces, in our neighborhood, or in some big God-sized dream, any and all of it, friends, I am praying a domino drop, so to speak, and that our obedience will be one more action to move God's kingdom forward for His glory for our good, and for the good of others. That as we are called and as we step out in obedience to God, that He will continue to use our surrendered hearts to help others know Him and to help us know Him more. While I know with certainty that we can find God's character on the pages of the Bible, I also know that when we are standing on a ledge, getting ready to step into something that we are so uncomfortable about moving forward in, maybe even terrified of, those are the moments when God draws near and we really build our faith in Him. Let's go, friends. So let's go out and do the acts of obedience that scare you to death. And truthfully, this message isn't just between you and me, but it's between you and me and the people that you reach and the people that I reach and the things that we do that we won't know the impact of this side of heaven. Truthfully, even if we do see the impact, either way, we will have the confidence in knowing that we have been obedient to what God has asked us to do and that He is using all of it in His big picture story in the narrative of God's story that is still being written today outside the pages of Scripture. 
Thank you, God, for including all of us in your unfolding story. This unfolding story, this story of God, that is so often called the meta-narrative of Scripture, traces all the way back to Genesis and also traces all the way forward to today, to my story and your story and so many other stories all woven together, to our now-go moments with our Heavenly Father. Sometimes it will be big, but most of the time it will be small. The reality is, in God's unfolding story, it is all big. Do you hear me, my friends? Do I hear myself? It's all big in God's story. Do we think that in Abraham's life or in Noah's life or Moses' life that they ever felt like their calling was big? Yes, the assignment was big. But there is also the dailiness of building a boat over the course of a hundred years. There is a dailiness of holding on to faith waiting for a child who is then born 25 years later. There is a faith involved in going before Pharaoh and asking him to set your people free and going through one plague after another and another after another, following your obedience to a call spoken from a burning bush. There is a dailiness of just writing the next podcast episode and pressing record and then doing it all over again. There are all kinds of small steps in the right direction when it comes to following God's calling on our lives. Don't despise the daily or the small because those are the things that God uses. God uses the unqualified and the uncertain and the overwhelmed and the fearful, and that is how He gets the glory. We need to quit trying to be the hero of the story and instead make sure we're just part of that rescue plan in any way that God asks us to be, in any way that we are called. When I consider any of the big things that God has done in and through my life or the lives of others, or even through the Bible, we say there are one million acts that were small, that we did scared, that we just got through, so to speak, in an effort to keep moving forward when it was overwhelming and when we were trying to not get into fear or doubt. If we are following God and living comfortably, then there is more, friends. Did you hear that? Let me say it one more time to be sure we all heard it. If we are following God and living comfortably, then there is more. We need to surrender our hearts and listen for God's direction because the reality is, a heart that is not surrendered cannot be obedient to God's call. Ouch and amen. Oh, friends, I wish I could share with you in a conversation one-on-one across the table and we could discuss how God has been asking us to do the big and the small, those convictions to call somebody, or to bring a meal, or to grow in our own spiritual walk, to heal, or to start a ministry to others even. The reality is, is that we can place all of our hope and all of our faith in whatever call God has on our lives, because we know how the story ultimately ends, like really ends. When we get to heaven or when Jesus returns, whichever comes first. If we try and fail in the eyes of the world, we have not failed in God's eyes because God desires obedient hearts, those he can use. Remember Noah? Remember Abraham? Remember Moses? Remember me, M. Faring? I know all of you can, and maybe even do in multiple ways have stories of moments when you stepped out in obedience. And whether it was yesterday or 10 years ago, or even if it's never happened, I feel so strongly God is asking each of us in this new year in 2023, to be obedient in the big and the small things. Let's plan to journal them somewhere even so that at the end of this year, we can look back and say to others, see what God did through my life, my surrender, my obedience, and look at how much my faith in Him has grown. So, so beautiful. Let's do this, my OOB tears. Let's do this together. And for most of us, we're not going to see until we get to heaven how all of this was the big stuff. But here on earth, it mostly feels small. Let's just settle our minds on this truth. Whether we see our callings and acts of obedience as either big or small, 
that does not at all negate the fact that it is all important to God. God will use our offerings of the little, of the daily tasks, of the seemingly small things to keep moving us forward in obedience to the big things He has in mind for each one of us. As I mentioned in episode 1, over 40 years ago, I was just a preteen when I felt called to write. And then 25 years ago, when I started reading the Bible for myself for the first time. And then even 15 years ago, when I felt called to ministry as a Bible study teacher and then a pastor's wife. Never in any of those times could I envision speaking into this mic to each one of you and all of us growing our faith as we read the Bible together. Truthfully, never could I have imagined a podcast even. (laughs) When we lived in Lawrence over 20 years ago, I actually worked in advertising in a time when radio and commercials and newspapers were the advertising and communication tools. And by the end of my time, we were only just beginning to really start packaging print ads with online advertising. Podcasting? Not even a glimpse or a possibility on the radar. With that in mind, our obedience to God's callings today can absolutely positively lead to Him using us in ways we could never envision five years from now, ten years from now, truthfully, even tomorrow. The most common ways that God has led me and nudged me are ideas that popped into my head that I would never have dreamed of or even considered. Or in the case of this podcast, words that came out of my, at the time, 15-year-old son and my husband. Never ever was speaking on my radar. Never ever was recording on my radar. And truthfully, my friends, I am still in awe over a year later that I get to do this with you. That I get to take my passion for writing and for Bible study and for research and then speak into this mic for God's glory. Never my own. Anyone could be speaking into this mic to you about the pages of God's word. I just happened to believe God when He called me to do the same, to allow Him to share His words and His heart and His character and His unfolding story with each one of us as the words He chooses to come out of my mouth. I hope we are all blessed and convicted and changed and grown and stretched by our study times together. And the biggest desire of my heart as we start this new year is not only that we will lean into the pages of God's Word— but that we will lean into the proddings in our hearts and our minds to do the things God is calling us to, no matter how small they may seem or how overwhelmingly big. I am so honored to do life alongside all of you, and my prayer is that this message that has touched my own heart as I'm speaking it into this mic also encourages and strengthens you, and then we all do what God has called us to do and to go into this new year, trusting that He will carry us the steps we can't take ourselves and that He will lead us through it all as we surrender our hearts in obedience to Him. As we think of 2023 and desire to start processing what this new year would look like for each one of us, be sure to check out the link in the show notes to Jenny Allen's Dream Guide for 2023. It is a great tool to help with just that purpose. She puts these out every year, and in her own words, they will help you celebrate what is, grieve what was, and look for what could be. This tool may be just the thing to help you further work through what God is calling you to for 2023 and beyond even. So, so good. Be sure to sign up for it. And while you were there in the show notes for today's episode, be sure to take a listen to some of the other links I added there of valuable podcast episodes I came across to help us reframe how we think about New Year's goals and all things related. I've just been listening and processing and now sharing these with you. As always, anything I share with you in the show notes are resources I believe are time well spent and further diving into that particular OOBT's episode's show content. Enjoy! (laughs) And as we draw today's episode to a close, I would like to share this variation of the prayer Jenny Allen shared in the Taking Godly Risks podcast that so spoke to my heart 
and I hope does the same in yours. Please join me now in prayer. God, we are here, and we are leaning in to hear from you because we want to spend our lives well. Show us how. Heavenly Father, please help us answer these two questions. One, what do you want me to know? And two, God, what do you want me to do? As we answer these questions in our hearts and minds, we are not only praying that you will bring ideas to our minds, but even more so, we're praying that we will not be quick to dismiss them as silly or scary or unnecessary, that we will trust you as you lead, that I will trust you as you lead, Father God. I pray that I would want you more than my life to work out. I pray that I would want you more than money or fame or success or comfort or power or relationships on earth, that I would want you the most. God, I ask that whatever you put on the hearts of my friends, of my heart, they would not just be for your glory and the good of others, but that, God, it would be the ripples that would extend out for generations to come, that our small acts of obedience today will be the things you use, just like the shepherd's obedience, to go look for the Messiah and share his birth with others, a message that we are still resonating with over 2,000 years later, just like Abraham's obedience to leave and go and trust for a son and how we are a part of that heritage and that promise that you made to him all those many years ago. Help us to trust that our stories of obedience and surrender will be used mightily by you. No matter what you say, God, that I would do it. Help me not miss any good work that you've prepared in advance for me to do, not for my glory ever, because that would be a waste, but for your glory forever. And I want to be part of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Okay, friends, be sure to find and follow M. Faring on Instagram to stay in touch with me and up to date on all things related to the podcast. You can also send a friend request to Michelle Faring on Facebook if you would like to keep up with the podcast, plus all of the daily life of my F7 family. I can't wait to connect with you on my social accounts, my OOB tiers. And please don't forget that new episodes come out every other Wednesday, so be sure to subscribe so you never miss one. And if you are loving the show, I'd be so grateful if you take a moment to leave a review. It definitely helps others find us. Also be sure to check out the show notes on my website, mfaring.com, where I've listed all of the resources and scriptures as mentioned in this episode, plus a bunch of bonuses for you to take today's topics and apply them to your own life, to your own year. This is going to be so good, friends. Please don't miss out on this opportunity to join God in what He has planned for your life this year. This is M. Faring, and I can't wait until we open our Bibles together next time, my friends. 